Um, so let's look at this, this first thing. What, what happened on the cross? Now, this is really important because we're going we're gonna to look today at, at some, some stuff that seems, some of it seems infinitely complex. And that's only because it's the way God designed it. It's because God did it. God's infinitely complex. It's what he accomplished for us. And as Brent taught us last week, that the, for us, the gospel of salvation, the good news that many of us have received here today, the part that we play is really simple. We just believe. We believe in all the, the crazy and complex work that God accomplished for us. God did all the difficult stuff behind the scenes so that we could just believe. It's the grace of God. So what we're looking at today uh, hopefully just reinforces and grows our faith in what Jesus did for us on that cross and in his res resurrection. So what happened on that cross? Now I know that, that most of us know the gospel, most of us know the good news, and we know, as Paul says, right from the beginning of the 15th chapter of, of 1 Corinthians, right at the very get-go, he lays it out for us at the beginning of this chapter. He says, let me just read the first four verses here. He says, moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, and then you notice he's got a little colon there, a full colon, which means, is it up there, Ed? Yeah. It's in my, yeah. which means, you know, when we do that, it means I'm going to write a list. I'm going, to, I'm going to tell the details now. So that's what he's done for us. And then what does he say? He says, for I delivered to you, first of all, that's what, uh, which I received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. That was a three-point historical event that happened on this planet a couple of thousand years ago. Jesus died on that cross for your sins, he was buried and he rose again. And we just believe that. And we want the gift of forgiveness that he accomplished for us. So Paul tells them and us that Jesus died for our sins, buried, rose again, and if I want that gift, the forgiveness of sins, and if I want to have a changed life, an eternal life, notice I don't say if I want to change my life, which all the philosophies of the world do. I'm saying if I want a changed life, I receive that gift from Jesus by faith. And we know from Romans chapter 10, verse 9, and many other verses, especially in, in the book of Romans, that if you confess with your mouth, the Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart that Jesus has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So that's it. If you have done that here this morning online or over in the overflow or here, if you've done that, then you're saved. But we need to remember that, that this, it's not the end. That's only the beginning. It's the beginning of a new life. The Bible says that you have stepped from death into life, from darkness into light. So now, if, if that was all that there was, 
and that was the end? Why would God give us so many details in his word about, about the behind the scenes details of our salvation story? He wants us to know what happened in the spiritual realm. He wants us to know what happened in your heart and in your eternal spirit, your inward man, Paul calls it, in your relationship between you and God. He wants you to understand what happened after you put your faith in Jesus Christ. So he explains it in his word because this is what, what will grow your trust in God, your reliance on the Holy Spirit, your thanksgiving for Jesus knowing these things. It'll grow you in holiness. It'll grow you in maturity while you're still living in this body, in this life, until we see him face to face. And so, so that we can also be effective ambassadors for Christ in this life. So, as you probably know, there, there are hundreds of scriptures describing a lot of these details, what happened in your heart, what happened between you and God, what happened to your spirit, to your flesh, what exactly God did. So we're just gonna look at a couple and we're gonna open it up. In 1 Corinthians chapter two, starting at verse 11, it says, I got it up on the screen there, it says, in him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ buried with him in baptism in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. So first of all, you notice that this, it's all past tense. This already happened to me when I repented of my sins and I asked Jesus to save me. It already happened. Paul was telling them and telling us too that the physical circumcision was no longer important because God was circumcising our heart with the circumcision without hands, the putting off of the body of the sins of the flesh. And you could say that God literally cut your flesh susceptible to sin away from your eternal spirit, separated them, put those sins away as far as the east is from the west. And we practically live this out each day by, by putting off and dying to the old man. But Jesus literally did the eternal spiritual job inside of you when you surrendered to him as your, sa as your savior. It happened. It happened inside of you, whether you realize or not. That's why Paul was able to say in Romans chapter 7, verse 17, he says, but now it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. He wasn't copping out. He wasn't going, oh, I don't want to take responsibility for this. No, he was just simply, it was a realization that God gave him that he wrote down for us to understand. It's sin in me. In my inward self, my spirit, I desire to do God's will, but there is sin in me that I carry around inherited from Adam. It's in me. It's a part of me. So God cut it away. Paid for it on the cross, cut my flesh from my spirit, and gave me my inward man the gift of the righteousness of God through my faith in Jesus Christ. He gave it to me simply because of my faith in Jesus. Romans chapter 3, verses 21 to 22, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, because it's right that point in Scripture where it finally lays it down. This is it. 
Romans chapter three, verse 21 says, but now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all and on all who believe, for there's no difference. We've been given, not our own righteousness, we've been given the righteousness of God in your, in your inward person. So God knows that in my own strength, trying to be a good man all my life, that I kept failing and failing and failing and failing, and I wasn't capable of accomplishing holiness and overcoming sin by using any laws or any religion or any rules or any regulations. I just couldn't get there. Still can't get there. So he did it for me. And all he requires of me is faith. Faith in Jesus Christ that Jesus did it for me and I've been given the righteousness of God, but I still carry around what Paul calls this body of death, susceptible to sin. The flesh that's still susceptible to sin, but God has cut it away and he's paid for it and given me eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ. And I will never ever experience the wrath of God for my sins. It's done. Jesus experienced it for me. He experienced the wrath of his father and is now teaching me to be holy, to have the spirit rule the flesh. He's teaching us how to do it because we're not very good. We need those like practice wheels, like a kidneys. It's like, how do I do this, Lord? He's teaching us to listen to the spirit, submit to the spirit and not to the flesh. And then as we saw last month with all the baptisms, they were just showing what happened inside them already. And they were declaring what happened inside of them already but publicly stating in baptism that they're dying to the old self and they've died with Jesus. And as Paul says here, through their faith in the working of God through Christ, he raised them from the dead just as he did for Jesus. And it happened by grace and it had nothing to do with them except their faith in Jesus Christ. Nothing to do with them. They just believed that Jesus did it for them. No religion, no requirements, just Jesus. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 13 through 15 says, and you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. So those rules, those regulations, those requirements, religion, all attempting in your own strength is the strength of the enemy. So Jesus disarmed them got rid of them. So now if there are none of those requirements thought to keep me on track, thought to make me holy, then Lord, how do I grow in holiness? Don't I need all these rules? Don't I, how do I grow in holiness? I know I'm forgiven, but I wanna, I wanna practically change, Lord. And as the writer of Hebrews says, be established by grace, 
Now be established by grace. Hebrews chapter 13. Some of this stuff, I'll, I'll, some of the Hebrews that we're going to look through, I'll, I'll open up quickly for you. But some of it's, it's really deep. It's really heavy. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 9 through 13 says this. Do not be carried about with various and strange doctrines, for it is good that the heart be established by grace, not with foods which have not profited those who have been occupied with them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat, for the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burnt outside the camp. Therefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered outside the gate. Therefore, let us go forth to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. And you know what this verse says, the verse just before this, in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8 says, right before that it says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. His love and his mercy and his grace for you, once you are in him, will never, ever change. It can't change. So be established by grace, not by strange doctrines. Anything other than grace is a strange doctrine. It's religion. And as you know, I mean, there's strange doctrines out there in the world today that that tickle the ears and they look and they sound super spiritual stuff. Oh, well, man, are those guys ever spiritual? These Hebrews that he's writing to here were being told to not go back to the laws because Jesus fulfilled them for them. So he was saying, go to the real thing, not to the picture of the real thing. Go to the real thing, go to Jesus. And for us, as followers of, of Jesus and his word, we need to always have the radar on, not just for ourselves, but for those around us, especially Christians who aren't, aren't super versed in the word, to help them wade through all the false doctrine out there because it's, it's getting rampant. It's all over the place. Verse 9 says, of Hebrews 13 says, for it is good that the heart be established by grace. The Greek word for established here is, I don't know how you pronounce it, but it's like babayahu. <laughs> Sounds kind of nice, but that's the word for established, meaning to be firm, to make sure you realize in your heart that it is always God's grace that keeps you secure and intact in salvation, not, as he says, food, or really any religious works-based method of legalism or any work that you can do. Remember, he's writing to the Hebrew believers here who have come out of their animal sacrifice way of finding forgiveness and they've now embraced Jesus as their Messiah. So he wants them to always remember that their old ways, their old covenant never finished the job. But Jesus did. Jesus finished it. So for us, we need to remember what Paul says about about any self-method of being holy and righteous. He says in verse 9, he says, they have not profited those who have been occupied with them. In other words, it doesn't work. You want to change and be a better man or a better woman? 
using any of these rules, regulations, religion, this system, that system, this program, though I went through this book and this program, it doesn't work. Maybe for a few months, oh, I overcame this, overcame that, and then you fall back and da, da. it doesn't work. You want to get distracted from a relationship with Jesus and a reliance on him alone for your holiness? Then fill your life with do's and don'ts and rules and regulations and legalisms because you're trying to be a better person. God wants us to, be, to try being occupied with Jesus. Just be occupied with him. Be a Jesus freak. Spend time in the word of God. Spend time with Jesus and then see what happens to those sins. And watch them slowly evaporate as you spend more and more and more and more time with your Savior. It's just like, hey, what happened to that? I haven't done that for three months. Just spend more time with Jesus. The closer you are to him, the less you will sin. It's, he's, he's kept it that simple for us. Focus on Jesus and his never-ending grace. And yes, of course, there are some God-given obligations for us as believers now, but the foundation must always be God's grace. Verse 10 is powerful and it's profound. The altar that we go to, the altar of God's mercy and grace through Jesus at the cross. It's the cross. The cross is our altar where the sacrifice has been made eternally for us, for the sins that you committed yesterday, today, and tomorrow, until you see him face to face. And if you don't live by God's grace, trusting only in the work done on the cross daily, and if you think somehow, because I know some people think this, I've thought this, somehow now that I'm a Christian and I have, and if I've been one for a while, I need to now take some of my responsibility for my, my own holiness, take it upon myself. Paul says, or the writer of Hebrews says, then you have no right to eat at the altar of the cross where God's mercy and grace flows down. Remember Paul told the Jews that he preached nothing but Jesus and Jesus crucified. Galatians chapter five, verse four says, you have become estranged from Christ. You who attempt to be justified by law, you have fallen from grace. And that doesn't stop after we're saved. It never stops. And we don't, we don't just preach grace though. We preach the whole counsel of God's word, which includes justice and righteousness and holiness. But grace is a huge part of it. So those, those preachers who believe that, that preaching too much grace is a license to sin, they're missing. They're missing the whole point. They're missing the power of grace in a truly born-again believer. They're missing it. Listen to what Spurgeon says. Charles Spurgeon, he said, those men who, who think that God's grace, when fully, fairly, and plainly preached, will lead men into sin, know not what they say, nor whereof they affirm. Shall I hate God because he is kind to me? Shall I curse him because he blesses me? I venture to affirm that very few men reason thus. I don't know about you, but when we're born again, God puts his laws in our mind 
and he writes it on our heart just like he told Jeremiah that he would do. And it changed everything for me when that happened. It changed everything. He became my God and I knew that he would be with me forever and I was his forever. So even though Jesus paid for my sin and made a way for me to confess to him daily and be forgiven, it didn't lighten my conviction of sin and give me license to sin or lessen my desire to grow in holiness because now I have a way out. It was the opposite that happened. It made me want to grow more in holiness so that I didn't have to be continually going to Jesus confessing. I just wanted to go to him for fellowship more and not just go, oh, Lord, forgive me again. Oh, Lord, forgive me again. Oh, Lord. I wanted to be able to come to him for, for fellowship. And that's the idea of being established in grace. God's grace grows our holiness. It doesn't lessen our fear or our conviction of sin. And now if you follow those verses in Hebrews chapter 13, I would encourage you to study it. It says that we simply follow Jesus wherever he takes us, and he takes us outside of the world system, outside of religion, outside of the camp, outside of the typical way of thinking. As Jesus was crucified outside of the city gates, God's never-ending grace for us who put our whole hope and our whole faith in the work of Jesus on the cross is so outside of the world system. Every system, religion, philosophy that mankind has ever made. And you know what? When we put our whole trust in Jesus and him alone daily, this is the beautiful thing. Our salvation is the most secure covenant and hope that, that has ever been promised. There's never been anything this secure than your salvation. I mean nothing. This is for those of you that, that struggle with that, and I know there are those of you that do, that struggle with that, with the security of your salvation, the idea of have I lost it? Did I wander too far or too long? Did my sins finally catch up with me? Or have I committed the, the unforgivable sin? Well, God tells us. And he puts an exclamation mark on it, on the magnitude of what Jesus accomplished on the cross and in his resurrection. He puts an exclamation mark on it for you and for me. So let me just say right off the bat, the unforgivable sin that we read about in Matthew chapter 12 is the blaspheming of the Holy Spirit, Amen. is what it says, right? And the job of the Holy Spirit is to testify of Jesus Christ and his death on the cross and his burial and his resurrection for our salvation and to point people to Jesus Christ. That's the job of the Holy Spirit. So the blaspheming of the Holy Spirit is unbelief. Saying, I don't believe that. That's the only way that you could not be saved is to not believe in the work of Jesus Christ on the cross and desire that gift. That gift in his shed blood to cover your sins. If you don't believe that, 
The reason why it's unforgivable because there's no other forgiveness possible for sin. It just doesn't exist. So, but, but because of Jesus dying on the cross for our sin and rising again to victory, we now have this new covenant with God and God will keep his side of the covenant. Always. He'll always be faithful and keep his side. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 13 through 20 says this. For when God made a promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely, blessing, I will bless you, and multiplying, I will multiply you. And so, after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men indeed swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is for them an end of all dispute. Thus, God, determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise, us, the immutability of his counsel. So he confirmed it by an oath that by these two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. This hope we have as an anchor for the soul, both sure and steadfast, which enters the presence behind the veil where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus, having become high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Wow, what a huge chunk of scripture there. So I'm going to open up this really quickly because I really want to get to the next scripture that, that I want to look at because I think most of us have no problem with this. We know that, that God's always faithful and he'll keep his side of, of any promise. We just know that about God. But it's us that we worry about. We worry about ourselves. What about me, Lord? Will, we, will I be able to keep the, the promise and the covenant? So here, simply in, the, in this scripture, God, he promised Abraham that simply because of his faith that he would be blessed and anyone who comes after him through all generations will be blessed and saved also simply through faith. For us, faith in Jesus Christ. Abraham was the father of faith. And to secure this promise that God made and the fact that it, it, it can never be changed, what did God do? He swore by himself because there's no greater one to swear by. So be sure, God's promise to save you simply because of your faith in Jesus, the new covenant, it can never be changed. He will never change it. But what about me? What about me, Lord? What if I fail to keep my side of the covenant and I falter and I sin? We have to remember now, Jesus is our eternal high priest. So listen, because this is huge. He will keep your side of the covenant for you. Hebrews chapter 7, verses 20 through 22 says, and inasmuch as he was not made priest without an oath, for they have become priests without an oath, but he with an oath by him who said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not relent. You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. By so much more, Jesus has become a surety of a better covenant. I'm telling you, your salvation is secure on so many levels, it's insane. 
God has sworn by himself to keep his promise, right? That's what he says. Well, here, God the Father has promised that Jesus Christ, his son, will always be our mediator of this new covenant. He's our high priest, and that can never change. And the, the Lord has sworn and will not relent. In the Greek, here, the word for not relent here means that God is saying that he will never, ever, ever regret doing this. It will eternally be the right thing to do. It will always be the right thing to do. It never changes mind. And it doesn't end there. This is, this is a huge thing that should give you such security in your salvation, like you have never felt with anything in your life. Verse 22 says, by so much more, Jesus has become a surety of a better covenant. A surety, the Greek word, enguos. Have you ever co-signed a loan? I haven't because I think I've, been, I've never trusted the person I'm co-signing for. <laughs> but if you've ever co-signed a loan, a co-signer guarantees the payment will be made or they'll pay it themselves. Surety, enguos. The new, this new covenant will be kept, period. Even if, not even if, even when you fail. He's keeping it for you. Surety is guaranteed. Jesus has guaranteed this new and better covenant. But see what it says? It says Jesus has become a surety of a better covenant. He gave himself as the guarantee. And it's an eternal guarantee because he's an eternal God. Your salvation is eternally guaranteed by Jesus Christ himself. And he guarantees it with himself. And if that isn't enough for you, Jesus is going to make sure that you get your eternal inheritance, no matter what. Hebrews chapter 9, verses 11 through 14. Let me just read that. And then we'll look at the next verse here. But Hebrews chapter 9, verses 11 through 14 says, But Christ came as high priest of the good things to come, with the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place, once and for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and of ashes of heifers sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, Cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. He's cleansed our conscience, your shame. He's taken it all away. With Jesus as our eternal high priest, our sins aren't just covered by the blood of animals, but by his own blood, and he entered the most holy place once and for all because he had obtained eternal redemption for us, which doesn't cover our sins, it cleanses, it wasn't just, just do that, it cleanses our conscience. Tell me any philosophy or any book or any counselor out there that can cleanse my conscience. 
once and for all and daily as we confess. And that's wonderful. That's, that's wonderful, isn't it? But here's the crazy part. The next verse, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 15. And for this reason, he is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant that those who are called may receive the promise of the internal, eternal inheritance. When there is the reading, many of you probably have experienced this, when there's the reading of a last will and testament, there's always a mediator, the person who's put in charge to, to mediate this inheritance, to make sure that everyone gets what they've been left in the inheritance. Jesus is the mediator of our inheritance. But this is where it gets even crazier or more wonderful or more glorious. And it tells you how secure God's plan is for you. Hebrews chapter 9, verses 16 through 17 says, For where there is a testament, there must also be of necessity be the death of the testator. For a testament is in force after men are dead, since it has no power at all while the testator lives. Jesus is our mediator of the new covenant, but he's also the testator, the owner of the inheritance, giving the inheritance. That's who he is. But the testator needs to die for us to receive our inheritance. It's like your grandmother needs to pass away first before you have that, that legal meeting and that reading of her last will and testament. So she's the testator. But there, there's a mediator that, there to read the details of her inheritance. And Jesus is playing both roles to make sure that you get your inheritance. He's the testator. He died and he came back to life, he rose again, he's seated at the right hand of the Father, and he is mediating his own inheritance that he's giving you to make sure that you get it. And if that's not one of the most wonderful, crazy things you've ever heard, these are God's words. He's done so much for us. The worship team, you can come on up. I'll do one last song. But what we looked at here this morning, I mean, number one, so that's what happened on the cross. Your sins, just take, I hope this brings peace to you. Like, your sins were circumcised from you with the circumcision without hands. The Holy Spirit did that work when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And number two, now, grow in holiness. Stop practicing and walling around in your old sins. And you won't do this by following any rules or regulations or laws or, or mustering up enough strength within yourself. Be established by grace. Remember, God loves you. Still, after what you did last night, be established by grace. It's the never-ending grace of God when you realize that he still loves you, that he still extends mercy and grace to you and still wants the best for you after you've sinned against him. And it pounds and pounds on the heart and over time it grows us in holiness. He's sanctifying us. 
He's changing us. Preaching grace isn't, it's not preaching license to sin. Teachers and pastors shouldn't be afraid of teaching it. Not when you preach the divine justice and the whole counsel of God's word at the same time. You preach it all. Because we know to fall into the hands of the living God is a fearful thing. So we're not mocking him. We're just saying, thank you for your grace. It's a fearful thing unless you are in Jesus Christ. And number three, brothers and sisters, if you are in Jesus Christ, please feel as secure as secure can be. Because even when you fail, he's going to keep your end of the bargain for you. So if you're here today in person or if you're here online or if you're in the overflow or wherever you are and you haven't surrendered to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, ask Jesus to forgive you and to give you life, real life. Not just this life here, real life. He's the sustainer and giver of life. And he will. And you will, be, you will literally step into life if you do that. So speak to someone here today if you haven't done that. Speak to any person here at the church or, or to any pastor here or to myself or an usher or a friend, whoever you're here with. Because if you don't know Jesus Christ, today is the day of salvation. I don't know what you're waiting for. So let's pray and just thank the Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your word. Oh, my goodness. What a glorious thing. Your word, Lord. What would we do without it? Lord, thank you for teaching us. Thank you for encouraging us, rebuking us when needed, Lord. And I pray that you would just encourage us with these words here this morning, that we would stand strong in our salvation and that we would be great ambassadors for Christ. And Lord, that you would grow us in holiness and we would stand in that grace that you paid for us at such a great cost. So thank you for showing us these things, Lord. Thank you for showing your word and opening up your word for us, Lord. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.